This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. We are so grateful for the two self-preservation eights that were willing to interview with us. Lamar said it himself. He said, you know, even a few years ago, he would never have felt open enough to be able to do an interview like he did with us. And he attributes that in large part to his self-preservation instinct, which really does have very defined boundaries. And so we're really quite grateful that we now have his thoughts, as well as Lisa's next week, to shed some light on this very mysterious instinct to Aaron and I. My sexual instinct has, throughout my life, felt pretty hurt by the self-preservation instinct, which to me feels like it's trying to keep me out. And Aaron, I think, has misunderstood it to be pretty closed and selfish, especially as compared to her social instinct. And so we're really happy to report that both Lisa and Lamar put a lot of that to rest. And they do a really good job of highlighting why we really need this instinct, especially as type 8s who press hard into things that maybe they shouldn't. This instinct says, maybe don't do that. Maybe it's okay to leave people a little space, to leave them their secrets, to allow them to hold their own space without being invaded. Digging into this this week has actually drawn me closer to my wife and just uh, to appreciate who she is and what her stacking is and how beautifully it complements mine. Well, that's an awesome segue. So how about you just give like a quick intro to who you are and then tell us your stacking. I'm an entrepreneur and a dad. <laughs> so I'm doing this backwards. So I'm a husband, father and entrepreneur. And uh, obviously you can already hear the self-preservation coming through there. My stacking is self-preservation, sexual, social. Do you know your tri-type? Yes, eight, seven, three. Me too. So. You have the exact opposite stacking. So I guarantee you've picked through the fine-tooth comb everything we sent you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I actually went through and wrote out all my reactions to every single statement. <laughs> well, then let's jump right in. Enneagrammer, they talk about how you've got a strategy that meets your needs. That's basically how all of our different personality bits fit together. And so eight, our strategy is always force, excessive yeah. force, and moving toward the thing that we want. The eight strategy for you would be to create boundaries with maybe a little too much force. Or lust. Like <laughs> yeah. The other word, the eights are often used with is lust, yeah. right? So To meet your drive to protect resources. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with everything except the word resources. I have not identified with that from the start and still haven't still haven't identified with it. Different ways that I might say it is my earning power, my intellect and physical abilities, basically just the ability to get what I want, what I need in any situation. Okay, so what is offensive about resource? An example for me is the sixth way of you know, stockpiling for emergencies and things like that. That so, to me feels weak. Plays in a little bit to 873 because I feel like I don't like the word resources either because it takes the power from me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I would say the power is in the resources, in the like stack of canned goods in, in the pantry or, you know, mm -hmm. the, yep. the diesel tank out back or whatever. And all that stuff can be taken from me. Yep. So I'm not putting my trust in those things. Right. Whereas the earning power is your own ability to go and earn. You're counting on yourself. Yes. That your goes with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your physical strength. Yep. I get yep. it. 
okay, this is a big revelation. (laughs) (laughs) So then another quote that we, um, we put down is that it is the instinct of self-protection. It's concerned primarily with one's own physical body, health, stability, protection, and ultimately that it continues to live. Yes, I agree with all that. And, you know, I want to live to 100. (laughs) But what's more important than living to 100 is being healthy. If I die young, I want it to be quick. I don't want the pain of not being able to provide or take care of myself. Or being capable, right? Like just not being capable. Yeah. So funny because with the 873 tri-type, I relate to a lot of what you're saying. I want the same thing. The the difference is I'm not going to go do it the same way. I will not put my health above my relationships. I will not put my resources above connecting with other people. Totally. Did you relate to any of the um, names that they threw out as examples of self-preserving eights? Trump, I, I can see his awkwardness. I can see myself in it. But I do appreciate his belief that he can outlast others in any conflict or competition. So true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to risk telling you that added to this list, and I deleted it because I was like, no, that's that's two hard names to put in the same list, is they said Putin. <laughs> <laughs> Those exact words were, we have to take some of these off the list or no one is going to want to come on and do a self-president with us. <laughs> It was a like provocative list. So I was curious how how you'd relate to it. Okay, why don't we get into the superpowers, basically like the strengths and the whole purpose of your instinct kind of like falls into three categories and what you bring to the world because of it. So it starts with physical well-being. It is focused on your actual body and its well-being. So you may or may not be pretty focused on health, diet, fitness, your own personal endurance, like tests of endurance and things, strength, just basically managing your body and trying to like get to the root pretty fast if any problems crop up with your body. Do you relate to that? Yeah, that's interesting to me because I wasn't healthy as a as a child, be exhausted in the morning until 10 o'clock and I get a little bit of little bit of energy. And then, you know, by the time I got home, I would take a two hour nap and get up, eat dinner and go to bed. Through that, I got an interest in taking care of myself because my body didn't, it just didn't allow me to do what I wanted to do. So in a way, it feels learned to me. If I'm very honest and I step back and look at myself, I don't consider myself very healthy. I don't love to work out. I force myself. Yeah. That's the difference. I don't love to work out either. And so I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It almost feels like my body has made me take care of it from a very young age. But the thing is, I love it. Like I love taking care of my body. I love learning how to feed it, how to make sure it gets the rest it needs. All that stuff is very interesting and and all that to me. Do you put that above other things? Like if it's scheduled in your day, is there anything that will make you shift that routine to not do it? If I need to make money? Yes. Okay, Uh, I have an insight. I think, as you mentioned, with your aversion to the word resources, you're more interested in mastering the mechanisms which get you the resources that you need. And so if your body is not a key machine to you, it might be your mind instead. It might be your money economics. That's right. And so that's where you're going to focus. But it's the same motivation. You're still trying to perfect the mechanism by which you are able to accrue the resources. 
Yes, I would agree. I think that's one reason why for a while I struggled, you know, am I a five? But yes, my intellect is the most important resource, if you will, that I have. The machine. It's like the most important machine to get the resources you need. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. That you have full control over. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's the thing. No one can take that away from me if they do. My life's over. Right. What are some of the ways that you like make sure your mind is fed and that particular machine is ready to go? Audiobooks, podcasts. I love reading biographies. It's a daily thing. Like it's something that I actually I sacrificed for quite a while. And I kept hearing that, you know, I should have hobbies and, and such. And all of a sudden it was like, you know what? I really want to learn something new every day. I was like, all right, you know, I'm I'm getting a library card and I'm reading biographies. I have a, a an audible subscription and, and things like that, you know, and that's my hobby. It's my favorite hobby. Is there any particular thing you're reading about or learning about? Like, are you constantly looking to grow your business or yourself or your like, or do you just listen to things that are completely irrelevant to you in your life? For quite a while, I was really into business. And I guess for myself, my desire for spiritual growth has, has really uh, come forward in the past, I don't know, couple months. And so mm -hmm. I've really shifted to more spiritual teaching, Bible teaching. But I would say the thing I'm looking to create is a very broad, basic understanding of the world around me so that I can put two and two together better and faster than most people around me. Mm. That is where it breaks with you being a five because a five drills down on one thing. No, huh? That's boring to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-uh. Right. So that like really highlights the fact that you aren't in fact a five, but that that five-ish kind of mind castle thing still is at play, but it's for a totally different reason. Yeah. It's so interesting to me. My mind, I'm thinking back to how you said that like my mind is the machine instead of the body. And yeah. this is such an insight for me. I hadn't looked at it that way, but it's because my body has failed me so much. I don't trust in it. Bad machine. <laughs> <laughs> My mind hasn't failed me yet, although I'm in a season of life where I pretty much exhausted it and I can feel there's it's time to get back to using my body more because my mind has really been taxed over the last year, year and a half. Does it feel threatening to rest it? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Mm. Yeah, that's it's scary. That's so interesting. I am relating with a lot of this. Self-pres for me is second, so I definitely do relate to that. But for me, I went from putting a lot of stock in my body as the machine that I was going to need to uh, run away from myself, basically, to God actually telling me, like, you're building the wrong muscles. And then I let go entirely. This is such a sexual thing to do. I let go entirely of my body and moved full force into the spiritual machine. And so I've been running full tilt at building that machine. And recently he's been saying okay you overdid it <laughs> <laughs> yeah as an example i i would listen to half a dozen podcasts that were at least a half hour long a day as i was working because i can do that you know 1.2 or 1.3 speed and i did that for a couple of years and over the past 6 months especially I can only handle maybe an hour hour and a half of podcast in a day and i have to go at regular speed 
Yes. Isn't that interesting? But you're doing it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, and I think that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of the eight piece for us, right? We have this drive to overcome anything we decide we're going to overcome. And we don't often listen to our bodies or listen to what it is that we actually need in in, and of ourselves. And we plow through with what we just decide we want. Mm -hmm. So if you want to say, I'm doing six podcasts, Mm -hmm. even though your body is saying no, a lot of the times we're capable of doing it. So I think the gift and maybe the self-pres gift is that you're capable of doing the like oh no gonna slow it down that doesn't exist for me Mm -hmm. or it hasn't until my body failed me yeah I would say I know I'm quite detail oriented so my first sign was I was listening to something and I I couldn't comprehend what they were saying so if I missed a couple details Mm -hmm. I'm like no this isn't worth it and I shut it off but then I get anxious and I'm like it's too quiet so I turn on music (laughs) yeah Now that we've kind of decided that your main machine is your mind, do you still relate to the idea that you as self-pres are testing that machine often to push it to its limits because that feels safe? So people who are fixated on their body being the machine in self-pres can look not very self-pres because they will sometimes test their body to the point where they're like, okay, I can push this thing super, super far and it's still going to hold and I'll still get what I need, even if conditions are really rough. So I wonder if people who focus on the mind machine do the same thing mentally, mental toughness, mental fitness, things like that. Well, it sounds to me like you kind of talked a little bit about that. Because when you're doing six podcasts a day, to me, that's sort of that mental toughness of like, I'm just going to cram as much as I can in. Yeah, you, you said that earlier, too. And I was like, it didn't feel like cramming. It just felt like I was having fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just fun. It was hard to stop. Is it the fun of, because you're growing, you're, you're constantly learning and expanding your mind? Yeah, because I'm gaining insights and uh, putting two and two together in so many different ways. And I feel stronger for that because in a conversation with friends, I can bring in an insight that nobody thought of. Like, how do you feel about people who you kind of observe as being like mentally not very fortified or strong? Do they feel like crazy vulnerable to you? Yeah, yeah. Weak is obviously a word that wants to come up right away. I know. But here's the thing. I don't mind being around people who aren't mentally, you know, fit as I am or have as wide of an intellect as I have. I don't mind being around them if they're willing to absorb new things. It's when they shut themselves off. That's when I get like, no, I don't want to be around you. That is so eight. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we both relate to that a lot. That is so eight. You're not willing to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. No, stereotypically, they say we want everybody to be as strong or as tough, but that's just not it. That falls so short. We really just are interested in seeing people grow and push themselves. I have a question for you. Do you feel like you get out of sorts when the details of your life get out of sorts or when you can't do the things you need to get done? Like if you want to learn something and there's no space or time for that, does that cause you stress? Yeah. (laughs) Like when my sexual first wife wants to discuss something during the space of time when I that I have dedicated to read a biography in the evening. Yeah, that's frustrating. Don't don't do that, please. <laughs> if I had made up my mind, I'm going to learn something new, then I don't want to connect. Yeah, you preserve that space for yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have definitely already dipped into the second set of superpowers for sure, but we can just like flesh it out a bit more. And that's self-regulation and skills. So that's basically building your skill set maintaining the skill sets for the practical purpose of being able to 
get the resources you need. Yeah, skills, definitely. I mean, that's that's a word I love. Um, self-regulation is something I wouldn't be aware of if my wife wouldn't talk about it. She's like, <laughs> wow, how, you know, you, you just make yourself do something. I'm just thinking about all the times where I, you know, wimp out and don't make myself do something that I think I should. What are some of the skills that you've acquired that you love? Um, the ability to ask questions to get to the root of whatever someone's struggling with. The ability to use questions to put people at ease and for them to just you know pour out all the information that I need so that I can direct them in the direction they need to go. It sounds like a lot of your skills are so that you feel equipped to be able to give to others. That's actually something that has made me struggle with my stacking is because I have such a strong interest in doing work and living a life that is for the better of society. Maybe that's just an eight thing. I couldn't imagine owning a fast food restaurant because I would feel like if I have to market that, I'm tearing society down. I'm not encouraging them to make the choices they should make. I'm trying to wrestle with that because it sounds very social. And I don't really often think about the whole. I am usually pretty fixated on the one person in front of me. I don't think it sounds so much social as it sounds. In my experience with self-pres people, they do have a tendency to want to do, and I'm going to say this wrong, but the right thing. They tend to be people who want better for the whole as a way of living, but they're not going to be the people that go institute that. They're just there to learn about it and grow. And like you said, I think help people one-on-one or talk about it here or there, but they're never going to be the people that say, I am going to make a movement of change, which is what I would do. I am going to stir the shit and I'm going to blow this up so that we can force change. Mm -hmm. And the self-pres people I know want the better of everybody, but they're not capable of blowing the shit up. That takes me to a dream I have of creating a wellness resort. But it's more about quality of experience than numbers reached. That's a very good way to put it. I have a friend who is very self-pres and she, her dream is of opening like a sandwich shop to feed people healthy food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, pushing our, our self-preserving agenda. I think others should do it too. But like you said, not interested in being the public figure that does it. So I think you just nailed it. You see what, how it has helped yourself and you'd like to empower others with that. I can see that causing some tension because you would be very passionate about what other people should do. And yet you're not going to actually do anything about it. <laughs> you just challenged me right there. I don't want to have to do it for money. If I charge for it, it will only be so that people value it. I want another source of income that takes the pressure off of needing money from that. That's what I've been building ever since I've become an entrepreneur is the ability to do that without infringing on my own security. There you go. Nice. That's the only reason why I haven't done it. I've seen destruction uh, and corruption from money. And so that's why I want to, I don't want it to be a corrupt thing to be something that actually in the end leaves people worse off. Do you relate to this being a very practical instinct? Oh yeah. Do you have like sexual first people in your life and you're like, what is up? Social for sure. I have a friend that's social first <laughs> and I'm, I'm just well, like, why are we wasting our time? Cre create a structure that will get you the results you want. Quit complaining about it. I have a question. Do you get labeled as selfish? Stubborn, selfish. People have lots of reason to call me selfish. As a social in past, people who were probably very self-pres have irritated me to no end because they constantly put their own needs ahead of everyone 
else. Now learning the Enneagram and my lack of ability to do that, I actually see that as the superpower I want to own. And I see the benefit of it. And it's not a selfish thing. It's a practical way of operating in the world so that they can do what they're set out to do, right? Or, or created to do. Mm-hmm. But in my past, I would I would call it selfish just because you are capable of meeting your own needs and saying no to other things to get mm-hmm. your needs met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I have another question. Do you cry? Yes, I do. Yay! Um, <laughs> it's like such an accomplishment yay. for the eights when they say yes. And here's another thing about my childhood that I haven't figured out, but as an elementary student, I would get tears in my eyes and get emotional about things that it ticked me off because I'm like, why are you getting tears in your eyes because of this? One was having too much attention on myself. Like if I was the center of attention, I would get tears in my eyes and feel very emotional. So I had I had a lot of that happening. What makes me cry? I don't tend to cry about losing something so much as I cry about when I see someone overcome in a movie, if I see a character overcoming something, and maybe even more than that, I love watching The Prophet, which is a reality show Marcus Lemonis goes into businesses and fixes them. And whenever there's an episode of there's a lot of conflict, a lot of tension between Marcus and the owner, and it looks like this thing's just going to blow up. And all of a sudden, the owner gets it and Marcus can speak life into them again. And they come out on the other side and they're victorious. That will just, yeah, I could just cry and cry about that. But I, I've actually learned to allow myself to cry. Actually, before the Enneagram, I would feel my, you know, my eyes watering and I'd feel that lump in my throat. And then it would shut off like mm-hmm. automatically. Yep. And then with the Enneagram, I started recognizing, oh, that's emotion. And there have been times when I have had a profound insight while I was working, while I was listening to something, especially with the Enneagram. And I have come to a point where if I'm alone, I can allow sobs to come out. But it's been a journey. It's hard. It's hard not to shut it off before it happens. Oh, man, we all really big time. Your tears kind of speak to the fact that I think eight tears because we hold them back. They will come out, especially if we are witnessing the deepest longing inside ourselves being met outside ourselves, And so we're like recognizing it happening. And that show is about somebody whose livelihood is being threatened, their security, their resources, and somebody is lovingly coming in and equipping them and training them and teaching them mm-hmm. how to have their life again, their security, which would mm-hmm. probably be a deep longing for you. And then you're watching somebody do that for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's like I can walk that path with them. Mm-hmm. I think I sometimes might feel jealousy, but most of the time I can just celebrate with them. Is this stream you're working towards going to kind of look like that? where you're able to provide for other people security and hope and things like that? Yeah, on a in-person basis, not online. Yes. Doing that online does not appeal to me. No, eights want connection, tangible connection. Okay, that all makes a lot of sense. Which leads into the third set of superpowers called foundations and resources, now that we've shed more light on 
what resources means to you. Um, <laughs> keep that in mind as you as you yes. listen. Keep that in mind. Yes. Resources are not physical things. <laughs> if it, if it's anything physical, it's just my body. So it would be the self pres focus on tangible things. But you have definitely added insight into that also expanding to your mind, which is not mm -hmm. a tangible thing. Do you relate to having a focus on making things permanent, stable, rooted? anchored? Yes, I do. How can I say this? So that's something that all my learning has taught me that nothing is permanent and secure. And that's actually been very freeing. Mm. Learning and reading other people's stories and seeing how, you know, one mistake or, or one enemy can crush a person. It's been very helpful for me to let go of making something permanent and secure. I would say as far as a past experience of, of having that stripped out from under me is... My parents lived at the same house from the time I was one to 19. And I was very, very settled into that. I was very comfortable. And then when I was 19, my mom decides that, hey, they need to move somewhere where they can retire. And it rocked my world. I would say I have not been attached to the place where I live since then. In my vision for my future, there is a home where I can attach myself to. But again, that's a desire. I have a very you know, basic desire. But here's where I've grown to the point where I realize that nothing is permanent, like I was saying earlier. So my learning has taught me that nothing is permanent. So it's easier for me to say, I want to create something that's much more comfortable than what I have now with the realization that it might not be permanent. But yes, the desire to have something permanent is still there. It's pretty self-protective oh, to kind of um, make sure you don't put roots down. That's what I was just going to say. It sounds like you're setting yourself up to be super equipped so you never lose that again. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of loss because people need roots and they need to feel rooted and grounded. And you're denying yourself that in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. True. That's true. That reminds me of something you said in one of the first episodes on the instincts. You said that, is it Jerome Lubbock says that self-preservation is past oriented? Mm -hmm. That was earth shattering for me because being 873, I was told I am triple future oriented, but it's not true. My choices are all made based on the past. Tell us more. For example, I saw my dad sticking to the same job for 37 years. It paid only half of what he could have been making doing the same work somewhere else. Because of that, my mom ended up getting a job when I was six and the community we lived in, that was not okay. I grew up in a very conservative community. And then he later told me that it was because of a bad experience he had when he first got that job. So when he learned the job, he didn't want to let go of it. But because of that, I saw our family suffer. I saw him stagnant and not growing. And therefore, I decided I will never get stuck the way my dad did. Now, that lesson was drawn from something that I saw and experienced in the past. It wasn't based on my dream for the future. And so I have lived most of my life jumping from one thing to the next, not so much because I want to test my abilities, but more out of fear of getting stuck somewhere and not growing the way my dad did. That's tied to your mind being your, your main machine it's because like, it's about mind growth. <laughs> and that your dad couldn't equip himself to grow. He couldn't equip himself to meet his resources better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if I spent a little bit of time thinking about it, I could probably come up with more examples. I mean, here's another good one. I could not envision what I want to do. I didn't know. I knew I was passionate about helping people with their health, but exactly how that would look, I could not envision. Jumping from one thing to the next over the past 
six years, especially with being an entrepreneur, but even prior to that. Finally, at age 35, I feel like I have a large enough bucket of information based on past experiences that I finally come to a point where I have a clear picture of where I want to go. But I have depleted my resources as far as my physical, my, my money. I've depleted all that in finding this dream of having a resort. I had to find it through experience. I couldn't envision it without experiencing it. So how does all of this tie in with the typical way of describing self-presence as not liking a lot of change? So that's intention because you're saying you move around to avoid being like your dad. There must be a tension, which might contribute to what you talk about having an inner war of wanting things to stay the same. Yeah. Currently, that war is between providing for my family currently and working towards being able to create more security for the future and working towards being able to provide more and create more security for the future. It's back and forth. It feels like I'm stuck between two things that want all of my time. Yeah, they talk about the self-pres tensions of how to manage your resources because you have to spend things to gain more. And mm -hmm. so often you have to sacrifice in one area to mm -hmm. get more in the other area. So that's probably quintessential. I'm actually a spender when it comes to money. I think that's why I focus on earning potential, earning power. So that you can earn enough to spend enough. Yeah. I like that mantra. <laughs> <laughs> Do you relate to the drive to preserve things? Thinking about wanting your kids to have things and your grandkids to have things. So building for that. Oh, yeah, very much. And your retirement? No, I don't think about retirement. I'm, I'm not going to retire. Apes don't. No, it's not a thing. So that's true. It sounds future oriented, but it's more to do with your kids having a foundation that you helped build that lasts. Yep, very much so. Very much so. So John Lakovich has a whole bunch of things to say about self-preserving apes as well and self-preservation in general. Do you relate to having a preoccupation with autonomy? Yeah, I wrote down a thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. you wrapped that up pretty nicely in this entire interview. He says they do not want to have to answer to others. They aim to be self-reliant above all. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been in a position where you have that taken from you? And what did that do? I'm in the middle of that right now. It just takes my sense of self away. It doesn't feel like I have value in a time like that. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. How do you use boundaries? How does that show up? I would say boundaries were something, oh, wow, I'm having an insight now. I wanted to say that I didn't feel like I had boundaries until we had our first son and he started walking. And then I was like, the neighbors are not being careful enough, you know, and, and they're <laughs> infringing on our space and, and all that. But all of a sudden, I realized, yes, for example, when my wife and I were dating, my best friend was dating her be best friend at the same time. And they wanted to create plans for us. And I was like, no, I killed off the relationship because of it. Whoa. Yep. <laughs> Is that because you feel out of control? Well, just stay out of my space. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm building this relationship with my girlfriend. You just stay over in your place. You know, you do your thing. I'm having a picture of like the dragon smog in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> stay away from my horde. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's really interesting. So would you definitely relate to the saying, fences make good neighbors? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I want more than a fence. I want 
I want some acres. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's really interesting is I am deeply, deeply wounded and offended by that sentiment in people. If it's directed at me, like, I. <laughs> so we moved in now it's all making sense. I must have self-preserving neighbors. So I immediately went over to the neighbors and I was like getting all, all Wait, in I there. need to interrupt though, to make sure you do know that there's lots of acres between Joe and her neighbors. <laughs> I totally trespassed the acres. It was not a good enough fence at all for an eight. <laughs> Sexual eights. No, forget it. You need a bunker. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Iron door. <laughs> you know what it amounted to? It amounted to the sound of hammering echoing through the forest and then me finding a bunch of very colorful, angry looking signs that said, stay off my land. <laughs> and then to the other neighbor, she was like a little more welcoming. And I invited her to dinner and she's like, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just so offended because sexual eights have no bounds. So that is a very big difference between you and I. Yeah. And to clarify, I enjoy having relationships with our neighbors, but it's just don't plan something on my calendar. Like... <laughs> Again, coming from a very conservative community where everything was tight knit and there were social gatherings that you were expected to attend. It didn't matter if you had a sick kid or if you had a rough week or whatever. You're just expected to show up. And I hated that. And then once you set your own boundaries and recognize I can do this, it's like you feel that almost that fire starting when someone starts to make you feel like that again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Put you back in that same space. So you'd be hypersensitive to the difference between being invited to something versus being expected to do something. Oh, yeah, there is a huge difference between those two. So I think all eights are sensitive to that, but you'd be more sensitive. I hate conflict. But if you back me into a corner, I will fight with all fours. Yeah, that's self-preserving. Yeah, the difference between eights who leave their space to go enter a battle, self-preserving will stay on their turf and defend. Yes, that's a very good picture. Very different. And I think sexuals do both. Art, do you find you've got skills in negotiating? I love negotiating. Like, <laughs> I wish I, I was in a space where I could do more of that. Like creating deals, just the word deal, like creating a deal. Yeah, I just love it. You do too. <laughs> Aaron. I was just gonna say I don't mind the word deal because to me it's two people coming together it's connection for me it's like if it's in my best interest and the other person is happy too that's a deal how are you with vulnerability that was very hard for me to identify as it didn't make sense to me what what are you talking about when you say vulnerability but I have learned that with having sexual second I have a knack for making you feel like I'm giving you a lot of myself but no, just a little. I'm, I'm still I protecting. I so to this because my <laughs> sexual is second for me too. I can do the, it's so fun to have it as second. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I can make you think I just gave you a lot of me too. Sometimes I can make me think I gave a lot of you too. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, are you vengeful? Yeah, very much. <laughs> and honest. But the way I'm most vengeful is withdrawing myself and yeah. withholding myself from others. Yeah, again, it's like the retreat rather than the going forward. Mm -hmm. And like, if I see you, I'll act like I don't yes. just, I'm not friendly. I'm, you're just a bump on a log. Do you relate to the going cold? You actually change the atmospheric temperature to cold. Hmm, that's a new thought. Tell my mom once. Yeah. She was a self-preserving eight and she would punish us by withdrawing, but I sensed her go from warm to cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do that with people. I'm thinking of my landlord right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. He does not respect my space. He thinks that 
all I'm paying for is the four walls. Well, let's talk about your other two instincts and just how they work. So the middle instinct, and that would be your sexual. So how is it something that you're pretty at ease with and it, you can use it kind of when you want to and turn it off when you want? I can, I can go deep. I love going deep, but... So my wife and I, she's sexual first. And when she is in contact with anyone, if it doesn't go deep, she feels like there's something wrong with her. She got rejected or it was a waste of time. I experienced maybe some of that, but I compare my sexual instinct to like a real fisherman. Mm -hmm. A real fisherman, of course, he would prefer to catch fish, but he can still enjoy himself if the fish aren't biting because he enjoys being on the water. And so I enjoy being in relationship with someone, but if it doesn't go deep, it's okay. I still enjoy contact with people. So Drew is coming out next week, his episode, and he literally said that the sexual instinct is like being a fisherman who is only looking for that one big fish. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that just happened to be the same analogy. Analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now finally the blind spot, having social beer blind spot, how does that show up? So it's not five-ish in that I don't like being around people. It's not that I get drained by people or even a large amount of people. It is all about a suspicion of groups. Yes. And what are you suspicious of? I am suspicious of them using their peer pressure against me, trying to get me to do something that is not in my best interest. If you had SO last, it might feel like the group pushes on your boundaries. It threatens your boundaries. It's drawing too much from you. And again, it's about getting onto my schedule. That's the offense. It's more just using the momentum of the group against me. Here's an example. Until recently, we were going to a mega church and they do this yearly legacy offering thing. They show the amount that they raised on screen. And of course, there's the social ones that stand up and start clapping. And and then he takes advantage of that. And he looks around. He's like, if you're not standing and you're not clapping, it's because you didn't give. I think that was the second to last time we went to that church. That's an extreme, but that is still what I fear from groups. The eight piece is that we would feel just as repulsed when an individual manipulates us that way too. It's just the force behind a group is a lot bigger. I am quick to spot the direction that the group is headed or I'm I'm quick to spot how they leave an opening for me to take advantage. Currently, I'm searching for a job and I bought a course to learn how to land a job in this specific field. And the person that created the course tells everyone to you know, go to LinkedIn and, you know, search for jobs on LinkedIn, do networking on LinkedIn. I'm like, all right, so everyone's doing LinkedIn. What does that open up for me? Okay. So if everyone's going to LinkedIn, I'm going to Indeed (laughs) because I expect most people will just follow the carrot and go where they're told. And I'm like, no, that's going to be harder. I'm going somewhere else. And for me, the social, I'm like, I need to go where everyone else is or I'm they're not going to find me. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're going to have to compete with everyone else. They'll pick me because I can showcase where I'm better. I like to think I work hard, but I'm actually quite lazy. I'm looking for the easiest way to get what I want. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lamar. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. I gained insights myself. So, yeah. Oh, excellent. <laughs> then your mind machine expanded. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface, and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>